Good morning. <laughs> Time to begin our services. If you're uh, visiting with us, we'd like to extend a special welcome to you and know that there's always a, a seat here at Rome for you and like to welcome everybody else here as well this morning for our services. It's hard to believe that it is May 1st, like the time continues to, to march on and I know there's probably several kids and uh, I'd imagine most teachers that are excited to see that it's finally May and uh, just a few more weeks left until school will be out. And uh, mentioning teachers, I just wanted to uh, remind everyone that today after our morning services that we'll have a teacher appreciation lunch. And this is for anyone who has taught Bible classes this year at Rome, as well as all of our public teachers and administrators. Uh, if you've taught Bible class, we uh, want to extend a thank you, and uh, I know the time and effort that goes into preparing for class and uh, doesn't go unnoticed, and I know you play an important ro role here at Rome, and uh, we appreciate that, and I know our kids appreciate that as well, and for all of you that, um, that are in the public school system, either as teachers or administrators or in any capacity, uh, so important to have good Christian people in our school systems today, and, and we know the uh, influence that you have with our kids and, and with, the, with the communities. So thank you for that, and we want to honor you today with the lunch, and so we would um, ask that you would stick around and, and let us feed you lunch. Uh, this morning, Derek Knapp will have our reading and prayer. Cy Wilson will preside at the table, and Drew Clark will have our closing prayer. So as we prepare to, uh, to go into our worship, I'd like to read from Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. We serve an amazing God. We serve a faithful and a loving God. And our response is to, to worship him. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we come to you at this time, Father, thanking you, Lord, for this first day of the week that we can, can be here together as a body of believers, Father, to worship you, to sing praises to you, Father. We are so thankful for your love, your faithfulness, for your son, Jesus, Father, for his death on the cross and the hope that we have because of, of that death and burial and resurrection. And we thank you for that, Father. And Father, we just ask your blessings on our time here this morning, that you would be with, the, with us, be with our Worship service, Father, we pray that everything that is done is done in a manner that pleases you. And, and Father, we are mindful of so many of our number that are struggling this morning with various health issues and, and difficulties. And we want to raise each um, one of them up to you, Father, those that are listed in our bulletin, those that were uh, mentioned in our Bible class this morning. Just pray you be with each one of them and, and watch over them, Father. And Father, we just, uh, again, are so thankful for the time that we have here this morning. That pray that we will clear our minds of, of all worldly distractions and we'll put our f focus solely on you, God, and, and worshiping you and giving you the praise that's due to you, Father. And Father, we know that we are sinful and we fall short in so many ways, and we just ask your forgiveness and uh, ask that we will um, learn from our mistakes and become better Christians for you, Father, that we can reach out and affect this community, that we can be a light in this community and, and uh, bring more people to, to know you and the hope that we have as Christians. Fathers, through Jesus Christ, I pray all these things. Amen. Won't you please stand for the first song? First hymn this morning, number 48, Anywhere with Jesus. And we'll sing the first, uh, first three verses. Uh, at this time, there will be no children's Bible hour today, though. So all the, everyone will remain in the auditorium. No, no children's Bible hour for today. <clears throat> first three verses, anywhere with Jesus. 
Anywhere but Jesus, I can safely go. Anywhere he needs me in this world, he goes. Anywhere the valley, dearest Lord, would Next hymn this morning, number 71, Blessed Assurance, number 71. And it's after this hymn that Brother Derek Knapp will have our scripture reading and prayer. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a Our scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. If you'll pray with me this morning, church. Father, I'm so thankful that we have this place that we can gather together as as fellow believers of the like, like precious faith, Lord. 
I just ask, Father, that you are pleased with all that we do here this morning. From the worship to the message that Chris is going to bring for us, Father, I just ask that you, you guide his lips and guide his words to be the words that you want us to hear. And Father, I pray that, you, that our hearts are ready to hear your word. Because, Lord, we know that your word is what brings change. And Father, we, we thank you so much that you have, have called us out to be your servants and to be your witnesses into this world. And Father, as we, we gather here, I just pray that we are encouraged to do the work that we are called to do, to, to be your disciples, to disciple others, and to spread the message that you have of love that you have gave us to others. And Father, we, we are so thankful that, that you have made a way for us to come into relationship with you and to know you. And Lord, for all of those among our number that are, are struggling and hurting, Father, I just pray comfort to them. Lord, as you know, all of our, all of our hearts and all of our struggles, and I just pray, Lord, that, that you intervene for us as, as you can to, to, look, to look out for us, to guide us and direct us on the, on the path that we should go. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 764, When We Meet in Sweet Communion. <clears throat> when we meet in sweet communion, where the feast divine is spread, pause our walk in close To prepare our minds for...
the taking of the Lord's Supper, I first would like to read from Mark chapter 15 and verse 40. Mark 15, verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. At this point in our service, we take the time to remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. We may have many different ways that we like to do that. One of the ways I like to put myself in that position and remember the agony, the sacrifice that Jesus gave for me was to put myself there. We know that there were several of his followers there. The passage I just read listed a few women that were there. I try to put myself in their position. They knew Jesus, as the scripture says, they had followed him and cared for his needs in Galilee. They knew Jesus. They knew of his teachings. They knew of his miracles. But at this point in time, they were standing there watching him being crucified. I like to try to think and picture what it must have looked like. But further than that, I like to try to think and hear what it must have sounded like. As we read the few verses before, try to put yourself there and try to imagine those sights and those sounds. Going back to verse 25, it was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Loi, Loi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. A man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. This time we were going to partake of the bread that represents the body that Jesus offered for us. If you would, let's ask a blessing on that bread now. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for the great sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for his willingness to come, his willingness to suffer through those things all for us to take our sins and to hang on that cross lord this time help us to see him hanging on that tree help us to hear those insults the taunts that were thrown at him help us to hear his cry as he breathed his last Lord, help us to understand that he did this all for us. Lord, we ask now that you bless this bread that represents his body that he gave for us.
and bless us as we partake of it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. ask a blessing on the fruit of the vine. Father, again, we come before you thanking you for your sacrifice of your son. Lord, we thank you for the blood that he shed on our behalf, the pain that he went through. Lord, we know that it was all for us. Lord, we pray that you'll, at this time, bless this fruit of the vine that represents that blood that washes away our sins. Bless us as we partake of it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. At this time, we'd like to... Uh, take the time to ask the blessing when our giving, our offering. Uh, Pre-pandemic times, we would pass around a plate right now, but because we don't do that anymore, there's receptacles at the back. Uh, This is to carry on the work of the church to help spread the good news to all the surrounding areas. This time, if you would, let's ask a blessing on the offering. Father in heaven, Lord, again, we thank you so much for all the many blessings you've given us. Lord, we know that the greatest of all is your son, that he was willing to come to this earth to live, suffer, die, and rise again all for us. Lord, but we also know that you have blessed us in so many other ways. We thank you for our jobs, our means of livelihood, our level of comfort that we have, the ability that we have to come here today to worship you unmolested and to be able to feel safe. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us now as we try to give back a portion that you've given us. Lord, we pray that you'll bless it and that it will be used to further your kingdom on this earth. Lord, we pray that you'll be with those that are in charge of distributing it that it will go to those that need it and that we that give will have done so in a cheerful manner. Lord, again, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. We pray that you'll be with us and we pray that you'll forgive us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 200. Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah. Number 200. Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah. From the heavens, praise His name. Praise Jehovah in the highest.
Invitation hymn this morning, number 768. 768, while we pray and while we plead. This time with Chris. Morning. When I was in eighth grade, we got to go to Washington, D.C. on a uh, field trip there. We spent about a week there walking around, uh, seeing the sights. We saw the Lincoln Memorial and uh, Washington Monument. We saw the White House. That's not good. Uh, we saw a lot of things. One of the things that I was most uh, interested in, I think, uh, was the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. While we were there, we got to watch the uh, changing of the guards. And I was, I've, Since that day, I've just kind of been mesmerized by these guys. I've done a little bit of study on them. Maybe you have as well. But, uh, they just kind of have intrigued me over the years. Uh, if you serve in this uh, in this capacity, you have to be from a specific regiment in the army. The third infantry regiment is the the, the regiment that takes care of, of this honor. They um, the badge to become a, an honor guard, the guard badge, uh, is the third most difficult badge, the third least awarded badge in all the army, right behind the astronaut badge. You know, how many astronauts there have been not very many. Uh, and so this is this is third behind that one. The ceremony and the honor, the dignity that these guys give the the unknowns soldiers is actually I think three buried uh, in in this monument. But the the dignity and the honor that they give these soldiers is impressive, I think. And you can't go to Washington D.C. and see the change in the guards without. This idea of the honor that's shown uh, to these people's sacrifice without that, without that settling in on you. If you've ever had the opportunity to go to New York and see the 9-11 memorial, you, see a, you have a similar feeling there, don't you? That, that the honor and the, the sacrifice, the things there just kind of settle down on you. But today I wanted to think about the honor that these men show their fallen comrades. We're, we're in Hebrews chapter 13. We're finishing up our series on Hebrews uh, in, in this way as we walk through this last chapter with a variety of topical lessons. I think uh, the Hebrew writer wants us to see them as topics. He, he just kind of goes through a variety of different topics that are dealt with um, because the things that he's taught us about Jesus as our high priest there ought to be some things that we do because of that. There ought to be a life, a specific type of life that we live because of what Jesus has done for us. And so in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, after he's gotten through talking about brotherly love, uh, last week we, we dealt with some of that stuff. This week he, he moves, not changing topics, I guess, but maybe deepening topics because this marriage um, topic could certainly go along with the brotherly love one. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, he says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Marriage isn't one of those things that's honored in our society, is it? It's fallen out of vogue. You see honor in maybe a variety of different capacities, including uh, the honor that these men showed their fallen comrades, but you don't see marriage being honored very much in, in our society. 
In fact, uh, this word honor uh, that you see in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 is used several times throughout Scripture. And usually it's translated as precious. It's translated as precious in Revelation when John talks about the different kinds of stones, the gemstones that make up, uh, at least the illustration of those gemstones that make up heaven and the road there that's paved with gold. And he says these things are, are precious. These gemstones are precious. It also is referencing the blood of Jesus. A couple of times throughout the Gospels, uh, throughout the uh, New Testament, the writers there will talk about the precious blood of Jesus. It's also referencing the, the promises of God. And so these things are precious. Is marriage precious to our society and our culture? Marriage is not precious anymore, is it? That's how God views it. So let's think for a little bit about this intersection between where our world looks at marriage and how God views marriage. Because to think about marriage correctly, you're going to have to swim upstream a little bit. You're going to have to go against our culture. You're going to have to get out of sync with our culture and in sync with, with God's definition of marriage. And those are kind of my, my twin aims this morning. That's what I want us to get across. I want us to get out of sync with the world's definition of marriage and become synced up with God's definition of marriage. I don't really expect the world to have a high definition, a high view of marriage. I don't expect them to view it as something precious. I don't expect them to sacrifice for their marriages. But I think God expects them to. And I think God expects you to as well. We've got so many marriages in our congregation that are good, that are solid, that have been great for years. We've got a couple of folks in the congregation that have been married for 50 plus years, right? It's an awesome achievement, right? Uh, Kelly and I are coming up on a couple of years on our 20th anniversary, and we're going to celebrate that in fantastic fashion, I hope. Um, so looking at a planned trip to Alaska, maybe, fingers crossed. I'll uh, go see some polar bears. But these are not things that we celebrate in our culture, and they should be celebrated. So many great examples uh, right here in our congregation, among us, of people who have honored their marriages and have held them as precious. So we certainly don't lack for good examples. But it's so very easy, I think, to allow the world to infiltrate our thinking uh, on this matter because we literally are around it every day. Um, have you ever seen the, the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? Does he ever get dirty doing those things? I've watched a couple of clips from, uh, from his shows over the years uh, on YouTube this, this, uh, this weekend. And it seems like he always gets disgusting doing these things. Uh, he jumps down into a sewer, uh, into a sewage drain, and you're like, why did you do that? Well, that, that's what these guys do. They, they have to clean this out, and so he's going to get right in the middle with them to, to do this thing. And I, I think that that's kind of a, an apt illustration for our view of marriage in the society rubbing off on us. As Christians, we know that God views marriage as something very precious. In fact, Malachi teaches us that he hates divorce. And so we understand that he has this very high view of marriage. But our culture doesn't. And so the more we live in this type of society, the more that has the opportunity, the ability to rub off on us and to kind of infiltrate our thinking on this topic. This is a God question, right? Marriage is one of God's things. It's something that He's given us to make us better, to help us. But it's something that the world, our society, has spinned. They've, they've put some... Uh, some some different definitions on marriage than God has. So I just kind of wanted to walk you through some of this stuff. Maybe you're not aware of this. Um, some, of these, some of these statistics. <coughs> In 2015, the Supreme Court ruled that homosexual marriage was perfectly acceptable. It's legal, in fact, in every state in the United States. We have a divorce rate of 45%. That means as you walk through Walmart, as you go down the street, every other couple that you see has been divorced. 
fifty percent of eighteen to forty-four year olds. That's the group that I that I am in, and a lot of you are in. Most, at least half of eighteen to forty-four year olds live together. Don't see anything wrong with that. Um, the Bible would say otherwise, wouldn't it? So only fifty-six percent of Americans think there's any benefit to marriage. Most most Americans, statistically speaking, most Americans think that. There's nothing really to be gained by marriage, and so why not just live together? They think it is a, uh, a step, a test drive towards marriage. 66%, in fact, of people think that. But the ironic statistic that follows that one up is something somewhere between 50 to 80% of people who live together before they get married get divorced during their lifetimes, a higher rate of those people get divorced than just the general populace. So rather than it being a step towards marriage, it's a step away from it. There's just a general disdain of marriage in our society. It's not only not valued, it's looked down on. Our society debases marriage, but you Christians need to guard your marriages. You need to uphold God's definition of marriage through, the, through our actions and the way we talk and think about our marriages. Our friends and our co-workers should get a completely different view of marriage than the ones that the world shows them. You don't have to look very far in our society to see their view of marriage. They've been pretty clear with it, haven't they? Through the TV shows and the movies, uh, through the actors that are getting into uh, some some uh, trouble. You don't have to go very far to see marriages falling apart. And the two actors I've got on the screen behind me are just the latest examples of these things. Um, do you think Chris Rock or Will Smith slapped Chris Rock because he said something about his wife's illness? I think you're probably off base. <laughs> There's some stuff going on behind the scenes there that most of us are probably aware of. Same thing with Johnny Depp. Our society doesn't value marriage. They debase it. But God holds it as something very precious. So I wanted to think for a little bit about God's design for marriage. What does, why did he give us this, this, this blessing? Why is this here? Flip back over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter, back up to Genesis 2. Man has been created, uh, and he has named all of the animals. God has given him a work to do, and man has been doing it. And then God looks around at all the work that man has done and notices something about Adam. It's not good. It's not, it's not good that Adam is all alone. There's no one there for Adam. Look in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse, nine, uh, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he was asleep, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with, his, with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The one thing in all of creation that God said was not good was Adam being alone. He needed someone like him. And looking around, Adam had no one like him, right? He was all by himself. And so God made a helper for him. I think next week we're going to talk about more about that word helper. It may come off as slightly derogatory. It's not. In fact, I think is the crowning achievement of creation. 
Uh, it's a really beautiful word. So we'll talk more about that next week. <clears throat> but save that for next week. But as Adam looks around, he, he doesn't find anybody that is him, is the perfect complement to, to him. And so God makes woman out of Adam's rib. Immediately, Adam's first reaction is, finally, right? Finally, there has been a companion for me, someone for me that is for me, right? Kelly's been gone the last couple of days. She's at a, a retreat, and I've had all four of the kids by myself, and it's been awesome. We've had a good time. But every, every uh, night I've sat down on the couch and thought, holy cow, I'm tired. Like, this is incredible, right? Just the, the energy it takes uh, to do this by yourself. Some of you uh, have a brand new appreciation from me <laughs> for being single parents and doing this kind of thing on your own. But when one of you is missing, you, you, you feel the weight there, don't you? You, you feel the loneliness. Um, you feel some of that burden that you, you have to bear by yourself now. I think Adam had felt that and kind of didn't know what to do all the way up until God presents him with Eve. And, and finally, when Eve is presented to him, Adam says, ah, you don't complete me. God's already done that, but here you are to be my companion. I think a lot of times in marriages, we think, certainly our society thinks that we're looking for someone to complete us, right? It's, you're putting too much emphasis on marriage. You're putting too much, you're, you're trying to, to give it too much weight. It doesn't, it, people can't do that. Your spouse can't complete you. God is the only one who can complete you. He's the only one who can make you truly happy. Your spouse doesn't have that power. They don't have that authority. They can be a companion, certainly, right? They can be someone who, who holds you up, who encourages you, who helps you, certainly. They can't complete you. And I think as people get married, statistically, the, the times when people get divorced are the first year and the seventh year. I don't, I don't know what's going on with the seventh year. Perhaps they have kids. <laughs> Statistically, speaking, more people have kids on the seventh year, perhaps, and that adds its own strength. But on the first year, what happens? Do you remember in your first year of marriage? You're just kind of figuring each other out, weren't you? You're just kind of, this is, this is the family that I grew up in, but you're not doing things like, like my mom or like my dad did them. And so I don't know what to do with that. And add into that mix that you're coming up against your own selfishness, aren't you? Do you remember that? Some of us are still there. <laughs> a lot of, most of all of us are still there trying to figure out how to, this give and take, right? God's view of marriage is different than the world's view of marriage. And I think an awful lot of us have allowed the world, at least in some respects, to infiltrate our thinking on this, on this idea Marriage was not meant to just make you happy. I think in our first years of marriage, apparently in our seventh years of marriage, and probably every year in between, a lot of us have thought, I'm not happy, so I want out, right? Marriage wasn't meant to make you happy, not just happy. Certainly it can make you happy, and you should be happy in your marriages, right? But it wasn't designed just to make you happy. It was designed to make you holy, there's, there's a difference there, isn't there? No other relationship that I'm aware of has the power to confront you with your own selfishness like marriage does, right? Because you're constantly around that person. They're your person, right? And when you come in conflict with them, it's almost always because you want something and they want something else, right? And those two ideas butt heads, don't they? God's using marriage to teach you how to be not so selfish. He's, he's using marriage to teach you how to be selfless. Marriage isn't just meant to make you happy. 
certainly has that potential. But it is designed to make you holy. Flip over, flip, flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22. This is another one of those passages where God speaks about marriage and lets us in on his definition, how he views marriage. So we, don't, we don't need to view marriage like the world does, right? They viewed it wrong, and it's struggling because of that. Marriage to our society is something that's expendable. You can throw it away. Well, it's not God's definition of marriage, is it? He says this thing is between one woman and one man, and it's for life, right? But in our society, it's very expendable. You can throw it away very easily. They look at it very flippantly. There's no, there's no strength there. There's no connection there. But to God, this is, this is important. This is something that teaches you some things teaches you how to be holy. And so Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. He says there's a relationship here that you need to be aware of. Jesus loved the church and sacrificed for her just so husbands ought to love their wives and sacrifice for them. Right? We sacrifice for our wives. And he says, just as the church submits to Jesus, so also wives ought to submit to their husbands. This is the biblical model. Submission's not a bad thing. Right? Submission's not a bad thing. Look back up in verse 21. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sometimes in our culture, submission comes off as a four-letter word, doesn't it? It comes off as a bad word. Submission's not a bad word. Everybody submits. As Christians, you all submit. You submit to Christ for sure, right? Paul says you submit to one another as well. There's nothing wrong with submission. In fact, there's something very right with submission. There's also something very right with sacrificing, right? We don't like sacrifice very much either, do we? Sacrifice is hard. It hurts. He says that's what you do. As husbands, you sacrifice for your wives because what you want isn't always going to be what's best for your family. And so you take out you take you out of the equation. You take selfishness out of the equation. Marriage is one of the ways that God does that for us. He teaches us how to be less selfless through marriage. You learn how to put other people first, right? You learn compassion. You learn sacrifice. You learn selflessness. Marriage teaches us all those things. It's one of the best classrooms God's given us. And he says... The purpose of all of this, the purpose of this entire classroom of marriage is holiness. Okay. So as we go with our culture, as we look around at our culture and our society's view of marriage, one of the things we're going to have to do is Stop allowing that to infiltrate our own thinking. They don't, they don't love marriage. They don't hold it as precious, but that's the way the Bible talks about it. It's just as precious as gemstones, right? How precious is your bank account? 
You guard that. You got online banking. You look back and make sure that you don't have any charges coming up. And if you have charges, you just let those go, right? If you, just, if you have fraudulent charges, you're like, I'm not going to worry about that. It's just money, right? What do you do? You go to the bank and you make sure it's right. You set it, you set it straight. You get, your, you get you a new debit card. You protect it, right? It's precious. Are you protecting your marriage? Because there's an awful lot of hurdles that you're going to have to jump to make that happen, to protect your marriage. There's an awful lot of things out there that want to detract and hurt your marriage. There's an awful lot of voices in the back of most of our heads, of our friends and the people that we watch on TV and all those things that are teaching us that marriage isn't that big a deal. But when you look to the Bible, he says it's a very big deal. It's precious. Precious like the blood of Jesus is precious. Precious like God's promises are precious. How many of us are looking forward to heaven, right? How many of us are holding tight to God's promise to be with us forever? That if we trust him, everything's going to be just fine. We hold tight to those because they're precious, right? He says the same thing about marriage. It's precious. So we need to fight for our marriages. We need to have a very high view of them. We can't allow the world to infiltrate our thinking on this matter. Because if we do, it's one of the things that can detract from our spirituality. It makes our walk harder with Christ. He's using it to make us holy. It's not just meant to make you happy. It's designed to make you holy and happy. This morning, maybe you're not struggling with your marriage. Maybe everything's great with your marriage, but you're just struggling with your faith. I found um, that in my own life, as well as in a lot of the people's lives that I've talked to, the farther away you are from God, the farther away you are from your spouse. Is that right? Have you found that too? The farther away you are from God, the farther away you are from your spouse, the farther away you are from your friends as well. The answer is to get close to God. It's that triangle. If you've, if you've ever seen that, God's up here at the top and there's man and woman on the other side. The closer you get to him, the closer you get to each other. And so maybe you're not struggling with your marriage today. Maybe everything's going great and you're, just, you're struggling with your connection with God. That's something that he can make right. But you're going to have to confess uh, that, 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 that need this morning. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, what's, what's holding you back? Is there a question you have? I'd love to sit down and talk to you about that. Maybe you've got some struggles, some things that you want to talk about. That'd be, that'd be great. I want to sit down with you and talk about that. Think through those thoughts. Maybe you've already been baptized this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, to think about His world the way that He wants you to think about it. If you have any need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?
Faut-il Good morning. A few announcements to go with before we're dismissed. A reminder today is a teacher appreciation luncheon and also Sunday for the Savior. Wednesday, May 4th, Stepping Stones dinner, smoked turkey on the menu. John Galloway will be here from Scotland to discuss his mission work. And Saturday, May 7th, is Hope and Austin Hutchison's bridal shower. They are registered at Target in Kentucky. Uh, couples are invited to that. Sunday, May 8th, the Naps will be hosting the Teen Devo at their house. May 13th and 14th, it's Friday and Saturday, the Fort Hill Men's Retreat for all ages. It's $50 for uh, your spot there. VBS is June 5th through the 9th. Volunteers are still needed for that, so keep VBS in your prayers. The Fort Hill Buzzard Week is July 3rd through the 9th. Sign up, for May 5th, sign up by May 15th for the full discount. And volunteers are still needed for grass cutting. The sign-up sheet's on the bulletin board. Uh, on our sick list, I uh, remember uh, David Trevathan. David, good to see David back with us today uh, from gallbladder surgery. Um, he said he's still a little bit sore, so he wants everybody to give him a big hug today and uh, make him pay a little bit there. Uh, remember Gail Hewitt, uh, she had a high procedure. Uh, Roger Pryor, Jennifer Baker, Jim Haney, Darren Baker, Charlie Boso, Caroline Dovitti, and Babe Jones is not doing well, so remember Babe in your prayers. Is there any other announcements need to be made? If not, we'll have a closing song and a closing word of prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 247. We'll sing the first and last verse of Here We Are But Straying Pilgrims. And then Brother Drew Clark will have our have a prayer. Here we are, past straining pilgrims here, our path is long and dim, but we cheer us long our journey still, we sing this place by him, yonder. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come here today to study your word, to sing praises to you. We ask one more special prayer for those who aren't here with us today, whether they've chosen not to be here or whether they potentially are ill. We pray that if they've chosen not to be here, that you'll touch their heart in a way that they'll come back and join us again. We pray that if they're ill, you'll be with the doctors tending to them and return them to a better portion of their health. Father, as we depart here today, we pray that you watch over us. We pray that we lead lives that are pleasing unto you and help us to return at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.